the armchair analyst. I didn't think his submission looked that good. Welcome into Tapping Vegas, brought to you by Better and Green. Today we're talking about UFC Fight Night. Last week we both went 3-1, and one, and overall we both have a winning record so far since we started the show. Bobby, what's your take on last week? Uh, so last week, yes, we both went 3-1. and one. Uh, We dissented, I remember, on the Jordan Levitt-Chase Hooper outcome. You chose Levitt and I chose Hooper. And that was kind of like the, uh, I guess you could say the tiebreaker or whatever on that, that had us both go three and one. So that's still pretty good. Uh, You know, we didn't really hit on all of our parlays, but I know one thing that was pretty awesome. uh, I did hit, it was at the time of plus 350 on Chase Hooper by sub. So if you listen to me on that, you got a nice little plus 350 at the time of that video for him by sub, which I told you is an insane value that just, made no sense for it to be such a plus for Chase Hooper and what figured to be a grappling heavy match. And if you watched it indeed was. So that leaves me now. Uh, if you've been a longtime listener and, you know, a uh, better and green supporter, you know me from my start with the articles. I used to be just the article guy for better and green, but including the articles, the tapping in Vegas shows that leaves me with an overall MMA record of 36 correct predictions on fight outcomes and 22 wrong ones. So 36 and 22 is currently my MMA prediction. And I'd just like to point out on better and green, you know, I'm a fan of other MMA content creators. I like their prediction and betting videos, but let's be honest. I'm not going to throw out names or shade, but you know, do you really know what these people's records are? Because I don't, Uh, I was watching one just the other day. And in the comment section, the viewers were having to try to figure out what this individual's correct predictions were and they're incorrect and determine a record. So we're always going to be open and honest uh, here at Better and Green. You can follow the trail of the articles where I got my start, the tapping in Vegas shows, you know, it all checks out with the paper trail. So it's not a problem here in Better and Green. You'll always know what our record is and what we hit on. Absolutely, Bobby. I think really even especially the month of november dude you probably have been the most accurate one me ethan and wyatt uh struggled a little bit this month but you've been on fire we hit a i believe it was plus 450 week one and then a plus 350 last week yeah it was a plus 450 for the jessica andrage mckenzie dern fight because uh, i called the ko tko on that and then yeah i believe like i said at the time of uh, that tapping in Vegas from the card from, I believe it was two weeks ago before they took the little Thanksgiving break. Uh, Chase Super by sub was around a plus 350 or so at that time. That's crazy, man. That's crazy. You ready to get into this card? Yes, sir. Let's hit it. All right. So we got Zach Reese coming in. He is a 218 point favorite. Cody Brundage is sitting there at plus 180. I'm looking at their records right now. Reese is 6-0, and where Brunage is 9-5. and Some of the notes I took from watching these guys. Um, Reese, I saw some strong wrestling from him. I believe this is his UFC debut, though. Is that correct? Yes, he's he's one of the Contender Series guys. He just earned his contract off an uh, armbar submission win on Contender Series, so this is his official UFC debut. Big time, big, big fight for him. He doesn't want to stay standing is one of the things I noticed. I think this guy is a wrestler through and through, uh, just wants to take him down and work from there. 
Brundage, he's got some bad body positioning, which I think is going to be trouble when he's fighting against a guy with a wrestling background. The funny thing about Brundage, too, when look trying to look up highlights for him, uh, Brundage is on a lot of highlights, except none of them are his highlights. <laughs> All the <laughs> videos I can find are him getting just decimated. And I'm like, I got to... The wrong end. He's nine and five, but how come I keep finding all of these losses? I can't find anything positive about this guy. Uh, he looks like he's a turtle shell fighter looking for a sub. He just latches on, clamps down, and looks for the sub and tries to beat you that way. Doesn't look like a great wrestler. Doesn't look like a great striker to me. So at minus two eighteen, he's going to have the adrenaline of coming in Brundage. He does have that UFC experience, but the dude's getting finished though. Like I, I'm not. I don't love Brundage. And trying to look at the stats too. He he's ahead in some categories, but I just I think Reese is going to beat him. Yeah, I can't disagree. Uh, Zach Reese six and zero undefeated. Cody Brundage nine and five, both twenty nine years old. Zach Reese six foot three. Cody Brundage six foot even. Uh, men's middleweight supposed to be weighing in at one hundred eighty five pounds. 77-inch uh, reach for Reese, which gives him the advantage, 72-inch reach on Cody Brundage. And, yeah, you pretty much hit the nail on the head, man. Uh, Cody Brundage, uh, when you were talking about, like, the turtle position, yeah, there are very few fighters in MMA that can utilize turtle in an effective <laughs> way. Like, it, it's very hard. Like, it is an effective and good position, and you yeah. can work your way up to the feet off of it. But Cody Brundage is not a guy who's using that to try to improve his position. He's oh. like, you pretty much hit the nail on the head, man. Uh, I don't know. I, I remember watching Zach Reese live on his contender series fight when he won by armbar. And there were a lot of people, you know, whining in the comment section on, you know, Reddit and everything, the armchair analyst. I didn't think his submission looked that good. <laughs> And it's like, I don't remember why people were saying that. I thought it was fine. I mean, if his opponent was the one making mistakes, and that's on his opponent. He was yeah. taking advantage of what the opponent presented. I thought it was a technically sound, correct armbar that he snatched up very quickly in round one and achieved. And Zach Reese does have quite a uh, quite a bit of wins by submission. His primary way of winning is KOTKO, according to Tapology, And then his second is by sub. And I think that's what's going to happen. I think Zach Reese, since you know you already described, he's that wrestler. He's he's trying to grapple. He's trying to control and dictate the pace of the fight. He's going to be looking for that sub, just like he aggressively got that armbar on the Contender Series. And Cody Brundage has already been subbed back in April of this year by Hadolfo Vieira, a very good grappler in that middleweight division, and he subbed him in round two. So I think that's what's going to happen. I think Zach Reese is going to be grappling. He's going to be pretty much having his way with Cody Brundage in the grappling department. And when I looked up his odds of winning by sub, it was a pretty good value. It was at a plus. So I'm going to pull that up because I don't know why Vegas has Zach Reese uh, winning by sub as such a plus, but they have it right now at a, let's see, Zach Reese by sub is at, Plus 200. Plus 200 wow. by Zach, uh, sub for Zach Reese. That's one of those things. LL Cool J lips looking, baby. That's my <laughs> that's my motto. Like, come on now. You know, plus 200 for Zach Reese by sub. That's going to be great value. 
Uh, Versus winning, I mean, like he's minus plus... two hundred just money line. You're getting like yeah, a four hundred point swing, right? And then by K- uh, KOTKO DQ plus one sixty five, and then by decision plus seven fifty. Like the dude is wow. just like got some insane value. So, like I said, I can't remember why people were so uh, critical of his grappling on the contender series. I thought it was fine, and honestly, we didn't see enough because it was such a quick fight. So, Zacharys by sub plus 200. That's what I'm calling. That's what I think is going to happen. That's your good value. I like that, dude. I like that a lot. With the decision at plus 750, do you think Brundage can just outlast and it can be, or do you think there's just the value of plus 200 for the sub just too good? I think the value of the plus 200 for sub is too good because Brundage has been finished by sub. He's been finished by KO, TKO. I don't think he's, I don't think he's going to last. I don't think he'll be able to. Yeah, I, I agree. Looking at the pictures too. Yeah. He doesn't doesn't look like the gas tank guy. (laughs) Right. You, you, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? The aesthetics, man. It's all about the aesthetics. (laughs) You got it, dude. You want to dive into the next fight? Yeah, so next up we have uh, Sean Brady versus Kelvin Gastelum. So this is a very interesting fight. Uh, This is one that I'm thinking is a little bit hard to predict, but uh, let's just talk about it because I am interested. I think this is a fun fight. I'm excited for this one, and uh, I just like talking about some of the history uh, that these guys have in the UFC. So Kelvin Gastelum, uh, I like him a lot, actually. He's uh, one of the guys who, like, when I first started watching the UFC, was kind of one of my favorite fighters. I kind of found him pretty inspirational. You know, he was a chubby guy. <laughs> he started off, uh, you know, kind of like a high school wrestler and everything. So he has that background in wrestling and uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, pretty good uh, grappler. And then he also has really good boxing. Kelvin Gastelum has some very technically sound, crisp, boxing and he has some power to go with it and so he was just always a guy that i enjoyed watching uh one of my favorite fights of his was him putting the beat down on tim kennedy and uh you know tim kennedy uh was the guy who was coming in you know just uh all muscle bound and just looking like a superhero and kelvin gastelum like i said this little short you know mini fridge built dude just went in and absolutely destroyed uh Tim Kennedy in a way that people just were not expecting. And it was pretty great. So yeah, uh, I like Kelvin Gastelum and here's the thing though. So Kelvin Gastelum has spent a good chunk of his MMA career at 185 pounds. So now he is trying to drop back to 170 pounds, the welterweight division uh, where he had basically You know, he's kind of spent a lot of time between middleweight and welterweight. He started off in the UFC trying to make welterweight a thing, and then he just had trouble making weight. He missed weight, you know, one, two, three. Oh, excuse me. At least two times he missed welterweight limit, right? So he's trying to give his career a revitalization by going back to welterweight, uh, he felt like he was, I guess, undersized at middleweight. He didn't. He's not a very tall guy. I think he's like 5'8", so he definitely didn't have height on dudes in 185, let alone at 170. So all that to say, I don't necessarily know that 
him, you know, going back to welterweight is necessarily like the X factor that's going to cause him to win this fight. I don't know that that's kind of the answer he's looking for to research his career. I think with him, it's been like some type of mental block, some type of mental barrier, because Kelvin Gastelum is the guy who, before Sean Strickland and Jan Blahovich, Kelvin Gastelum gave Israel Adesanya his hardest fight, hands down. He almost finished Adesanya multiple times in their fight, just really took the fight to him. And like I said, Tim Kennedy is a guy that he just absolutely beat the brakes off of that nobody gave him a chance. Uh, you know, beat up uh, Ronaldo Souza, KO'd Michael Bisping. Granted, Michael Bisping was on short notice, and you know how that goes with the whole GSP fight and everything. But, you know, I, I just think with Kelvin Gastelum, I don't know what his career holds for the future. He's been in the UFC a while. Uh, and you, the biggest thing is you don't know what Kelvin Gastelum is going to show up. You know he has the skills. You know he has the talent. You know he's performed at that high level against high-level guys like Israel Adesanya, like Tim Kennedy, like Johnny Hendricks, Michael Bisping, et cetera. But then he's also just lost bizarre fights where he just didn't do anything. Like he lost to Jack Hermanson. He lost to Darren Till. Like the Darren Till fight was terrible. If you watch that live like me, I feel sorry for you, and I, I hope you get a refund. I'm still waiting on mine. But, <laughs> I mean, I think Kelvin Gastelum gets it done. I was on the Sean Brady train for a while. Dude came in, had a lot of the hype, had a lot of promise. And uh, in the words of Phil Leotardo uh, in The Sopranos, after Sean Brady got KO'd by uh, Bilal, remember the wall install, Muhammad. My estimation of him as a man fucking plummeted. My estimation of John Sacramone as a man just fucking plummeted. Like, I just couldn't take it anymore seeing him get KO'd by Bilal Muhammad. Like, the guy known for just holding you up against the cage, stomping your feet, and just praying the judges see it his way. So, I think Kelvin's going to kind of be rejuvenated. I think he's... I think he's looking to get back in that win column. I think he's trying his best uh, to kind of, you know, make that career turnaround, get a fresh start again. Like I said, the skills are there. The resume's there. Everything's there. He just needs to, I don't know, get whatever mental things or whatever that's holding him back in check. But I like Kelvin Gastelum in this fight. I think it's very winnable on the feet. If Brady tries to grapple, I still think Gastelum – will be fine in the grappling uh, department and be able to hold his own. But especially if it, if it stays standing, I like I said, I am a fan of Kelvin Gastelum striking. I love his boxing. I think his boxing's great. And the boxing and just the overall striking offense and defense he showed in that uh, Israel Adesanya fight was like prime. It was a master class of him offensively and defensively you know, like I said, he's 5'8". He was getting in on a guy. I think Adesanya is probably like 6'3", 6'4", with a huge reach. And Gastelum was just in his face constantly, like pressure, 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 going after the guy. So as long as Gastelum does that and he uses that striking and he pressures, I think he's going to overwhelm Brady. And like I said, if you're getting knocked out by Bilal Muhammad, MMA math aside, I don't have much faith in your chin holding up against somebody like Kelvin Gastelum, who's a better striker. And Kelvin Gastelum's already a plus 102 underdog. And Sean Brady right now is at a minus 122. 
And Gastelum by KOTKO is a plus 275. Uh, submissions a plus 1400. And a decision's plus 275. Now, I think submissions a bit, even though it's a plus 1400, I'm not really rocking with that. But KOTKO DQ or decision, both at plus 275. That's a pick them for me. Either one, you're getting your money. And he's already the underdog at plus 102. What do you got, Ben? Great breakdown. Um, Sean Brady, when I was watching him, he looks like a very com- compact fighter. Like, everything is just so in tight. Uh, closed angles. So, if you're going to get this guy, you're not going to get the, like, haymaker coming over the top and he's just unguarded. Uh, looks like he's got good balance. He's strong on top. But he got bullied on his feet in his last fight. He's 4-1 and one, coming off a loss. Uh, he, like you said, Bobby, he just got bullied in the cage. And, uh, was it? I think it was a TKO, right? Rough uh, let me double check because if that was the Bilal Muhammad fight, yeah. then uh, it might be because yeah. let's see. I think it was. Yeah, it was. You're right. Yeah, this past October 2022 – yeah, that was his most recent fight. That was where he lost to Bilal Muhammad. Yeah. He got bullied, dude. He got bullied. I was looking at Gastelum, and when I started watching his tape, I was like, I wasn't very impressed with him. I'm going to be honest. I was kind of like, meh. And then he knocked out Bisping, and I was like, okay, what the hell is going on with this guy? Because once again, kind of like the previous fight, he just doesn't look like your typical come-in-kill-you fighter. But – now, after watching it, he's got some heat-seeking hands. Like, his hands are missiles. Uh, quick subs, too. Whenever he, like, gets it locked in, guys are tapping quick. Like, there's no, like, yeah. slowly increasing. No, like, guys tap almost instantly. Uh, his knockout power is insane. But I'm worried he's declining. Dude, He he's 32, so he's not super old. But he's 2-3 and three in his last five fights. Do you know the last time he won a fight that wasn't a decision? Dude, it was probably that Michael Bisping fight, which was, what, 2018, I think? 2017. 2017, yeah. So he's either won by decision or lost since 2017, and that worries me. That worries me. Brady has that one loss, and you could chalk it up to a bad fight. Also – with Gaslam coming down, because I know sometimes cutting weight, that takes a lot out of you. I'm worried if Brady, I mean, I'm sure all these guys are cutting weight to make to make weight. But if Brady's not cutting as much and he's kind of was more naturally a welterweight and he's kind of towards the top of the range where he's coming down. I just I worry about Gaslam just not having enough and possibly getting subbed by Brady. That's my concern. Yeah, that's a valid point, man. That was my biggest thing and what makes this so hard to predict for me. Yeah. You know, Sean Brady, 15-1. Kelvin Gastelum, 18-8, one no contest. Sean Brady, 31. Gastelum, 32. Both 5-8, both supposed to be weighing in at 170 pounds. 72-inch reach for Brady, 71.5 for Gastelum. So almost equal fight. Yeah. Almost equal fight, all things considered. And like I said, you're right to have your concerns, and that's what my same concerns were too. Like I said, my biggest thing is 
that Israel Adesanya fight wasn't that long ago, and maybe that's kind of what demotivated him after losing such a close fight like that. Maybe that was kind of a mental thing. I don't know. I'm not going to play like armchair psychologist or whatever because I don't know what he's going through. But, yeah, I just think that if that same Gastelum shows up that I know exists and if it's still inside him, you know, deep in his heart, uh, he could he could win, man, especially especially mm-hmm. on the feet striking. Like I said, Bilal Muhammad can do it. Uh, you know, Kelvin Gastelum definitely can do it. And I just like the value that you get with Kelvin Gastelum as a plus 102. And KOTKO, I like it at a plus 275. I really yeah. do. So let's just hope the motivated, uh, the motivated mythical fighter Kelvin Gastelum shows up. <laughs> I like his. He's got that striking power that when people say like it doesn't matter how you did the entire fight, it can end in a second. That's Gastelum, dude. He just yeah, one hundred percent. He just puts you out, and that's the whole thing. I think if Brady can avoid that punch and the way he he's so compact when he fights, I just think he can try not to get caught. But if he gets caught, I mean, I feel like it's night night for Brady. But I'm gonna go with yeah. Brady just just for the hell of it. Yeah, hey, I don't blame you, man. We're gonna go to a fight now that I have absolutely no clue about. So I will talk very shortly and <laughs> let you. Uh, <laughs> Give me some knowledge. So we have right. Rob Font versus Davison Divi- uh, Figueredo. Uh, Davison Figueredo. Davison Figueredo. Rob Font, he's a favorite at minus 135. He's got some crazy KO, KO power too, and he wants to stay standing. This is another dude like basically making a boxing match. Figueredo, fast. He's very good at chain combat, so... If something happens, he can throw you, he can punch you, he can snap you down. Like, there's just no limit to what this guy can do to you in a situation, which I think makes him super dangerous. But he puts his hands down. He puts his hands down so much to try to bait the other fighter. Font could catch him, and with his KO power, I'm I. they're both older, too, 36 and 35. I really, I don't even know the reach advantage doesn't really change anything for me 31 and a half to 68 one's two and three the other's two two and one in the last five like i have no clue which way to go in this fight yeah this one's tough uh davison figueredo's uh normally a 125 pounder flyweight he's going to be moving up in weight to 135 uh, it's always a question when, you know, somebody's moving up in weight, you got a fighter, are they going to do better at the weight? Are they going to get bullied, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I think in this particular instance, uh, it's going to benefit Davison moving up. It seems like his last few cuts down to 125, especially to make a uh, championship weight and everything, seems like those were really draining him and just really taking a lot out. And that could have uh, potentially been compromising his chin since he had to cut so much weight and he was just getting so sapped from that. So I think this is an instance where moving up in weight should benefit him from like an energy standpoint and from, you know, hopefully an endurance standpoint and being able to absorb and take some shots a little bit better. Uh, My biggest concern is he's already a small guy at five, four. So he was great at uh, flyweight in that aspect. But like in this fight right here, he's already given up three inches in height, a little bit in reach, nothing crazy. But 
you know, if he's planning on making bantamweight 135 his new home, he's going to face like, I don't really think of too many people, especially up at, at the upper levels, like Sean O'Malley's 5'11", Sanhagen, Corey Sanhagen's like six foot. From here, excuse me, from here on out, I don't think the dude's going to be facing anybody that he has the height or reach advantage over. So that does concern me. But speaking just from this fight, it's tough. And you pretty much, you're exactly right. Rob Font wants to box. That's what he's known for. He's a good boxer. He wants to keep it standing. He wants to use hands. Uh, Davison is also a good striker, but it, like you like you alluded to, it's kind of like more of like a power, kind of reckless, like yeah. chaos creating, you know, chains, like you said, just weird, you know, unconventional tactics and everything on the feet and just like, you know, one shot killing guys. Uh, his grappling's not bad. Uh, his grappling, like everything else, is just a little unconventional. It's built around like a few basic things that he does really well, which there's nothing wrong with that. It's actually sometimes the 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 hallmark of a good fighter when you can do the same few basic fundamental things and do them well. Like his hip escapes, where he puts like his feet on the hips and pushes off and explodes up to get on his feet, stuff like that's really good, really sound. I just think I like Davison Figueredo. I think this is going to be a good move for him. It's going to rejuvenate him, at least in this fight. We're only looking at this fight. Who knows what the future holds? So I'll say that this is going to be a good thing for him. I say he's going to benefit from it, and I like him. This is a good introduction to him for the 135 division. I can't think of too many guys in the division with a name and a good resume uh, other than Rob Font. That would be like his perfect intro fight. So Figueredo at plus 114, according to DraftKings. I like that quite a bit. Mm. Minus 135 for Rob Font. So Figgy by KOTKO plus 450. By Sub plus 550. By Decision plus 400. So that's Mm. tough. You got some interesting options there. Uh, If they keep it standing, yeah, I do worry about – Figueredo getting caught because of, like you said, him keeping his hands down. But at the same time, man, I do like the power that he has, and I think it's going to still translate to 135. And I think, if anything, maybe he'll have even more power because he's not as drained. If he can take it down, dude, if he can take it to the mat, like I could see Font getting subbed. That's true. Yeah, his grappling is not his uh, bread and butter by any means. So you know, I think I'll, I think I like uh, Figueredo by plus five fifty on a sub. I think I'm gonna go too. for that. I'm gonna be cheeky on that. I'm gonna take that one. I like it. I like it a lot. I do too, man. Let's do a round of that. Yeah. Give us Figgy. Right, Figgy at five fifty by sub. I like it. Sounds like a rap song. Figgy by five fifty. Yeah. Hell yeah, that is a good one. Somebody needs to uh, work on that and uh, <laughs> let us know. <laughs> Yeah, so our main event that we're going to have is we have Benil Dariush and Armin Sikarian. So this is a really good fight. Uh, it's going to be at men's lightweight, which is 155 pounds. Uh, so, yeah, Benil Dariush, 22-5, and five, won no contest. Armin Sikarian, 20-3. and three. Uh, Benil, 34. Armin is 27. 5'8 for Benil. 5'6 uh, for Armin. Like I said, both supposed to be weighing in 155 pounds. Slight reach advantage by 0.5 uh, for Armin, 72.5-inch reach, 72-inch reach for Benil. 
This is a tough one. Uh, both guys are really, really good lightweight prospects. Yes. Uh, you know, been doing their thing in the UFC for a while. Very talented guys, very skilled guys with good resumes. It's going to be a great fight. Really great fight. You should tune in Saturday, December 2nd. Main card starts at 6, and this is the main event. Uh, I like Armin in this fight. I think if I have to go and pick somebody on this one, I like Armin the most. And the reason why I'm going Armin over Benil, even though I'm a big Benil fan, Benil's plus 250, Armin's minus 310. I like Armin because he's just – I feel like he's one of those guys who he's kind of had some hiccups lately, but he's kind of the future of that division. He's the guy who is kind of – he's lost a little bit of that momentum, but I feel like he is just very talented. He's young. He's kind of hungry. He's determined. And he's given people like Islam Makashev, the current champion of that division, their their hardest fight. Just the things that he's able to do with his well-rounded skill set are just insane. Like one of the things I liked about Armin uh, with the Islam Makashev fight, besides the fact of how competitive it was, it really showcased his grappling because his grappling was able to stand up to Islam Makashev's. And Makashev's probably the best grappler in that division and he's the Habib uh protege and you know the guy Habib was grooming to take over that champion spot and has taken it over and there was something I noticed in specific Islam had Armin up against the cage at one point and he threw a knee and it makes me think that Armin studied this and knew uh had a read on Islam Makashev because as soon as Islam threw that knee from the clinch up against the cage. Armin immediately caught it and then turned it into a takedown. He went underneath the knee and then was able to use that leverage to knock Islam off balance and slam him to the mat. And just little things like that, like the athleticism, the timing required to, you know, intercept that knee when he's pinned up against the cage in a clinch and then turn it into his own takedown and end up with the top control position. Stuff like that is just immaculate. I love seeing that stuff. It's very technical. It's very it's beautiful to watch. Let's just say that. And then as far as striking, I like his striking. I know it's kind of not really his bread and butter, but his striking's been getting a lot better, and it continues to improve to the level of his grappling over time. And he's just always had competitive fights, even when he's lost. Like, he lost to Matus Gamrot, another one of those bright prospects in the division potentially in line for the next shot, but it was a competitive fight. He didn't get blown out. His fight against Joel Alvarez, anybody that hasn't seen that, bloodbath, literal bloodbath. I don't know how the fight wasn't stopped. Yeah, I don't know how they didn't stop that fight. If it was New York City, you know the commission would have stopped that Like as soon as the dude had a nosebleed. Shout out to New York City for ruining good fights. Uh, (laughs) So thank God that didn't happen there. I mean, he's just always competitive, man. Christos Gallegos, he KO'd, had a decision over Matt Frivola, but dominated the dude. Davey Hamos, that's another dark horse guy at the time that they fought in 2020 that Armin just dominated, you know. He's just given people very competitive fights even when he's lost. Nobody's ever really kind of just blown him out of the water, you know. So I like him. I also like Benil Dariush. He doesn't get the respect he deserves, uh, especially – I think people are really kind of uh, 
thrown off by him losing June of this year to Charles Oliveira in the first round by that KOTKO, which, by the way, your boy called that and predicted that, and that was one of the first articles I wrote for Better and Green. So, you know, even with me predicting that, I think people kind of read into that a little much because Charles Oliveira is elite himself. It's not like Benil lost to some bum. But what I'm getting at is I just think that Armin's going to be the guy. You know, I just think it's his time, and sometimes that's all it, that's all it takes. Sometimes yeah. it's just the guy's opportunity. It's just his moment. And this kind of has shades of Benil Dariush versus Alexander Hernandez to me. And that was back in uh, – 2018 when Benil fought Alexander Hernandez and if you've been following the sport you know how Hernandez was that guy who was a highly talented prospect but unlike Armin he just fell off the face of the earth and really declined I think it's going to be that same outcome just not in terms of like the career trajectory of Armin Armin is that guy and he is going to keep going but you know I think I think uh I think he's going to win I think he's going to beat Benil Dariush. Let's see. Let me see what the odds are for the outcome because Hernandez just dominated Benil Dariush and got the KO, TKO. And like I said, that guy fell off the face of the earth. Armin's been hanging around, been competitive. I feel like it's pretty much the same type of thing. You know, Benil facing that up-and-coming guy that he just doesn't have enough for, unfortunately. So yeah, Armin uh, Armin minus three ten, Benil plus two fifty. Wow! So uh, plus one thirty for Armin by KOTKO, plus nine hundred for Armin by sub, plus two hundred for Armin by decision. So hmm. what is Vegas doing with this? Why are these odds for Armin so so huge? Like I don't understand. I like plus 900 sub Armin. I, I, I like to swing for the fences. That's what I'm going to go with. I think his grappling is just really good. It's probably, if not, it's not number one offensively or defensively. Like I said, that's Makashev, but he probably has number two or three grappling offensive and defense in the division. Benil, no slouch on the ground himself. Uh, almost ripped Tony Ferguson's arm off with an arm bar that Tony Ferguson somehow survived. But I like that plus 900. I like it a lot for Armin by sub. I think this is my favorite fight we've talked about yet. I mean, I think both these guys are really good. I really do. I think they're both great wrestlers. I think Armand's more of a relentless wrestler, though. Like, he stays on guys better. Uh, both. Strong punches, strong punch power. I think Armand has better body control. A thing with Armand that I really like is he his use of his elbows. Like, that's how we saw that, I forget the guy's name, but that blood match, man, was just yeah. elbow after elbow after elbow to the face, man. And, like, you see guys, they go to the hammer <laughs> fist. Instead of the hammer fist, he just, like, elbows guys, and he's just so ruthless with it. Um, yeah. I like I like Armand, too, man. I like Armand, too. Benil, also, it's just this this age gap is gigantic, too. We're looking at 27 versus 34. Uh, Benil, I saw an article, I think came out today, talking about his thoughts on, like, he said he wants to, like, fight another good fighter before retirement. So this dude's already thinking about retirement, and we saw what happened with Aaron Rodgers. He went out there and purposely tore his Achilles. So I don't want that to happen with uh, 
man. It's I don't know. I like Armand. I like Armand too, man. He just like you said, man. Benil, I think he's the fourth ranked, where Armand's the eighth. This is if if Armand wants that title shot, this is the fight that he has to win. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. It's must win for both guys. Uh, yeah, like you said, Armin, if he wants to get a title shot, and Benil, if he wants to stay relevant in the division. Uh, yeah. I think, in my personal humble opinion, one fifty five is no longer like the deepest division like it once was in the UFC, but it's still a shark tank. It's still a shark tank, and you know you can quickly find yourself if he's in a two fight skid. If he loses this, like he will be. You can find yourself out of place really quick with all these up and comers like Armin, Joel Alvarez, like guy that was in that bloodbath with Armin. Like for him to get dominated by Armin like that, Joel was another one of my you know favorite prospects. I was keeping yeah. an eye on, and he had no answers, no answers for anything Armin did. And yeah, like you said, the age gap isn't really something that you think should be like significant. But Benil's got a lot of MMA miles. In combat sports, thing. it's huge. Right. He's got MMA miles in a way that Armin does not, and that, that sucks. That takes a toll on the body when you've had that many fights and, you know, taking the damage and everything. And it, it's just a case of it's Armin's time, I believe, you know? Yeah. I agree 100%, man. So what are you wanting to do for our haymaker? What's your favorite? Let's see. So there's some good ones, man. This this card is chock full of some value on these haymakers. Uh, you know, like I said, I'm a swing for the fences guy. Maybe I'll take that Armin by plus 900 sub. What do you think? I I mean, I hate going against Benil because I just I like both of them so much. But yeah, I, mean, I can see it. I can see it. That's the biggest one, too. That's the biggest payout. Because my other one would probably be, let's see, plus 275 for Kelvin by uh, KOD, uh, KOTKO. Not a, not the biggest payout, but might be your most plausible, potentially. Yeah. See, I'm on the Brady side. So oh, that's I, right. I'm going to go Armand, but I, I'm – I'm 100% ready to defer to you. Hey, man, we hit a plus 350 and a plus 450 already in the short time we've been doing the show. Let's just let's try to hit a home run here. Uh, Yasada is not going to be around after this year. Let's start juicing it up like Barry Bonds, and let's go <laughs> plus 900 and swing for the fence, man. Dude, I like it. I like it, man. Yeah. Yeah, you, you – if we hit – a uh, 450, 300, and 900 in three straight weeks. I mean, you can, like you. Nobody could talk shit anymore. Like that, you're you're him. Well, I mean, you're they him. can't now, man. We're we're pretty much uh, we're pretty much giving away money at this point with yeah. like the stuff that we've hit on and like the stuff I've hit on in the articles. Like you're, you're not joking. It's like SpongeBob. We've tried burning the money. We've tried burying the money. Like at this point, we're just giving the money away. Yeah, we are, man. All you have to do is tune in, you know? <laughs> Bobby, thank you for joining me. You and me, my friend. I, I'm guessing we're going to be watching these fights because we're going to be together this weekend. Yeah, we can definitely watch them for sure. And uh, everybody else, hopefully you're watching. Hopefully you're listening. 
And like I said, follow the paper trail. I started off with the articles on Better and Green. You can follow the paper trail, look at the record, look at the record for uh, the Tapping Vegas shows. This is not a show that you have to wonder, what are these guys talking about? Do they know what they're talking about? You know, no disrespect and no shade. I want to name drop, but I can't be petty. Uh, you know who I'm talking about. You know these individuals that are out there in my Jorge Masvidal voice, these individuals, <laughs> these uh, people who are who are out there, you know, giving you fraudulent records. I'm going to see you at a steakhouse in Miami. That's all I'm going to say. I'm going to see you at a steakhouse in Miami. <laughs> Man, everybody, make sure you go over to bettergreen.com right now. Check out Bobby's articles and all the other articles we got out over there. Buy some merch. Uh, Bobby, thank you for hopping on with me, man. Hey, thank you for having me, man. Always a blast. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Enjoy the card, everybody. We'll see you in the next episode. Peace. Peace. You better start listening to the Better and Green podcast. You will not regret it. Trust me, trust me, trust me. And hey, I'm Dean Blandino. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Better and Green. Hey. To Better and Green. Hey. To Better and Green. Hey, listen in and get out. It's all about, come on, let's make cash now. We always on spot and we cover old spot from the bottom to the top. Hey, shout out to Ethan, shout out to Wyatt, shout out to Ben. Welcome, welcome to our podcast. Better win green.